0: This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. During the recent special session to redraw the state's congressional boundaries, lawmakers voted largely along party lines to approve maps proposed by Governor Ron DeSantis. The maps are controversial as they're expected to reduce black representation in Congress and give an advantage to Republicans. And the vote was marked by protest, including a sit-in led by black Democrats on the floor of the House chamber. Democratic lawmakers are also unhappy with the level of involvement of the governor in the redistricting process and a move to abolish Disney's Reedy Creek Taxing District. The new map includes big changes for the Tampa Bay region. It splits St. Petersburg and makes a competitive district more favorable to Republicans. To explain what this means for voters in the region ahead of November midterm elections, we're joined by political journalist William March. William, thanks for being here.
1: Nice to be here, Matt.
0: And we're also joined by reporter Valerie Crowder from the NPR member station in Tallahassee, WFSU. Valerie, thank you as well. Great to be here. Thanks. Well, Democratic lawmakers in the greater Tampa Bay region were outspoken in their opposition to the new congressional maps. Let's hear from some of them. Here's state representative and congressional candidate, Michelle Rayner, she represents House District 70, and she's in St. Petersburg.
2: What I'm not going to do is let this moment pass and not make a record, because I have my mother's blood and my father's blood coursing through my veins. I have my ancestors' blood coursing through my veins. They have fought and come through too much to allow this House to abdicate their duty to a governor who has political ambition. And yes, I said it. Political ambition that's not about the people. So y'all, I I hope this isn't falling on deaf ears. And I hope that there's political will on the other side of the aisle. Political courage to stand up to a bully.
0: So that's Representative Michelle Rayner from St. Petersburg. And then speaking to reporters after the vote, Representative Fentrice Driscoll from Tampa explained the sit-in protest. This legislative session was already special session was doomed from the start when Senate President Simpson and the speaker said that they weren't going to draw any maps. They were going to let the wait for the governor's map. What world are we living in? So yes, the tables got turned on us. Today, the, the tables got turned on them. We did the best that we could to speak up for the people of Florida, to stand up for black voices whose representation is being cut by half. You heard articulate, beautiful, well-thought-out debate from all of our
2: members. We didn't have the time to make all of our debates. Leader Alexander didn't get to debate.
1: It was a farce and a fallacy. We called it out for what it is.
0: and That was Democratic State Representative Fentrice Driscoll from Tampa. On the other side of the aisle, Republican Mike Beltran from Lithia praised the maps. He said they had clean lines, divided counties fewer times, and followed prominent geographical and political boundaries and were drawn up in a fair and impartial way. And he also pushed back at criticisms of the
1: governor. The governor was elected to, among other things, be involved in the legislative process, as we've discussed. The governor's been involved, the Senate's been involved, we've been involved, the courts are going to be involved, the constituents and stakeholders. They were able to come to the committees and subcommittees and make their voices heard. Everyone's got a voice in this process, whether it came out exactly the way anyone wanted, um, you can't say that the process didn't work or that the governor, somebody said the governor's meddling. He was elected to be the chief executive of the state, and now, now he's meddling. I, I, I find that argument a little bit ridiculous.
0: Well, the debate in the House chamber on Thursday was stopped at one point by a sit led by black Democratic lawmakers. Uh, Valerie, let me start with you. Can you describe how this vote went down and, and what stood out for you about that special session?
2: Well, first, the Senate had already passed the governor's map the previous day and then the House was uh, ready to debate on the last day of the special session, which was Thursday, uh, the governor's map and take a final vote on it. And they got about two hours into debate when the sit in actually happened. And what was going on at that moment was Representative Yvonne Henson was debating and her time had expired. And at that point, her mic was cut off. And then Representative Angie Nixon of Jacksonville and Representative Trey McCurdy of Orlando started walking to the front of the House floor And they sort of uh, revealed the shirts, the T-shirts that they were wearing underneath their clothes, which said, stop the black attack. And they started chanting and basically, you know, started the sit-in at that point. And it really took everyone by surprise. It took lawmakers by surprise. It took members of the press by surprise. And... Democratic lawmakers who staged the sit-in, they said that it was somewhat spontaneous. So the two lawmakers who started it, they actually had planned it. It kind of was, you know, unexpected for other Democratic lawmakers who then uh, joined in with the sit-in and it also included a pray-in. And um, pretty early on Republican lawmakers filed out during that and it lasted about an hour.
0: I understand the Wi-Fi for the building was cut off at one point.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, That was really interesting. Uh, The Wi-Fi was cut off. And at that point, you heard Democratic lawmakers accusing uh, the Republicans of You know, being like Fidel Castro and cutting off, you know, the the Internet service, although not all of the the Wi-Fi was cut off. The Mm. capital guest Wi-Fi actually was still working.
0: And then they reopened the the, uh, debate or they, they reopened things for the vote and the vote was carried out while the demonstration was still happening
2: exactly Uh, they actually didn't take debate on the two bills that were targeting disney they didn't take any there was no further debate on the congressional map once speaker sprouse came back in and brought everything back in well i guess not really into order but whenever he uh, called the lawmakers back in from recess uh, they went ahead and took the final vote on the congressional map. And meanwhile, Democratic lawmakers who continued their protest were just you know, shouting and protesting passage of the congressional map. And of course, it passed along party lines with Republicans voting in favor of it.
0: A special session, I guess, unlike many others. William March, I want to turn to you. We heard criticism of the governor's involvement in the process from Democratic lawmakers. They said he was overstepping his boundaries. How unusual is it for a governor to reject maps that are drawn up by state representatives and submit his own maps?
1: That particular process where he actually rejects the legislature's map and submits his own would be highly unusual, but that doesn't mean the governor isn't typically involved. Rather, he tends to be involved behind the scenes before the map gets passed by the legislature so that he can then sign it when it comes out. So Representative Beltran had a point. the governor, is supposed to be involved, uh, they just don't normally get involved in this particular way.
0: And then, you know, the fact that you had accusations flying from Democratic lawmakers that he's kind of tipping the scales, how unusual is it for that? And what does it tell you about the relationship between the governor and lawmakers when they effectively come back and the Republican majority accepts map and says, we are going to pass this?
1: Well, what it tells you is they're scared to cross him. Uh, and that's a, that's a function of the political circumstances of the moment. Uh, Ron DeSantis is, is popular within the state, uh, gets good ratings on his performance. He's in his first term and very likely to be reelected, which gives him a position of power. A politician who's already been reelected starts losing power as everyone realizes, you know, the day after your re-election, you become a lame duck, gradually and increasingly a lame duck. Uh, but he hasn't reached that point yet; he's only part way through his first term. So he is at kind of a position of maximum influence for his office. In addition to that, he's viewed as a potential strong contender for the 2024 20, presidential nomination. Now, all those things put together put him in a really unusual position which is what gives him this unusual position of power so that the Republican lawmakers are afraid to go against his will.
0: And, Valerie, I believe we heard some of that from Democratic lawmakers saying that they think he has his eye on a a different political prize and is really looking to that with his uh, drawing up these maps and submitting them and uh, basically the way the special session has been conducted.
2: That's right. Governor DeSantis is widely considered a possible presidential candidate, and uh, that's a a big thing that um, Democratic lawmakers were noting throughout the session, was that he put forward this map to pursue his political ambitions, to help his possible campaign for presidency, to appeal to donors outside of Florida even. This is what Democratic lawmakers were saying, saying that basically he's sacrificing Black voters in the state Uh, for his own political ambitions.
0: What about this notion too of checks and balances? Because we heard some of that too, complaints that the usual political process by which the governor and the lawmakers balance each other out was just not there this time.
2: Yes, so that's something that we heard a lot was that uh, Democratic lawmakers were really irate that the governor and that the legislature actually, they were very angry that Republican lawmakers had acquiesced as they put it uh, to the governor and allowed him to insert himself in this way in the process after they had already passed a bipartisan map that the governor vetoed last month they were you know really disappointed to see that instead of overriding the governor's veto and keeping the map that they said was constitutional um, that they went ahead and and took up and, and ultimately passed the governor's map
0: William, is this a new normal for the way redistricting or other kinds of sessions along these lines may be carried out with the governor inserting themselves into the process to this extent?
1: Well, I think once you set a precedent like that, it becomes easier for, for ensuing governors to do the same thing. Uh, as to whether this is a new normal, uh, I think probably a lot of people hope not, uh, but it could be.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the Tampa-St. Petersburg area, Governor DeSantis's map splits St. Petersburg. It makes some toss-up districts, including the 13th, currently held by Charlie Crist, less competitive and more Republican. William, what does this mean for St. Pete?
1: One thing that it means is that the city, as a city, is likely to have two representatives in Congress instead of one. And there's a good chance that they'll have bipartisan representation because um, Kathy Castor of Tampa, Uh, A Democrat will have part of the city, and the map almost guarantees her re-election. The other part of the city uh, goes into what is a potential swing district but with a pretty significant Republican lean. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the district that Charlie Crist holds now. He's leaving it open to run for governor. There are three Democrats and five Republican contenders for that district. So if a Republican wins there, then St. Pete could have two representatives in Congress, uh, one Republican on the west side of 34th Street, one Democrat on the east side. Yeah. You, could, you could imagine that that could actually provide the city more effective representation, two members, one on each side of the aisle. Nonetheless, city officials, local government officials often dislike having to split their attention between two different members of Congress when they want something from Washington. They often prefer to have just a single point of contact, a single representative, partly because it gives them more influence over that representative.
0: I wonder too about the polarized nature of politics in Washington right now, whether that may also make it a little more difficult if you have you know, that bipartisan representation. It may not necessarily be easier to get things done.
1: If... The city needs something from Washington, and if they can get both a Republican and a Democrat who represent them to go along with it, it might make it easier to get something done. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, it might make it harder for them to be able to say we have unanimous support for our idea from our delegation because the delegation itself will be split ideologically. Is St.
0: Petersburg uh, traditionally a high turnout city?
1: I don't think it's. Don't think it's higher than normal. I've never researched that question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's I think becoming higher turnout uh, as it becomes uh, more upscale socioeconomically.
0: I wonder though, the these new maps. What impact do you think they may have, if any, on on turnout?
1: Generally speaking, when you have a competitive race, you get higher turnout. Mm-hmm. Overall, statewide, these maps are going to lead to less competitive races, more safe seats, uh, and therefore more political polarization. For example, as we said, Kathy Castor is almost certain to end up representing the eastern side of St. Pete because she's guaranteed re-election, and that part of St. Pete is now in her district. In the other side, you're likely to see a very competitive race for the seat now held by Charlie Crist. So you're likely to see a highly competitive, hard-fought race there that will drum up a lot of voter interest.
0: One of the complaints we heard, one of the words we heard thrown around during the special session was this notion of packing. Um, can you just talk us through a little bit about what, what's going on there and whether there's some merit to that claim from Democrats that these new districts are packing Democrats in a certain area and that's to their disadvantage?
1: Oh, absolutely. The um, and there's no better example really than than the Kathy Castor seat from Tampa that we've that we've been talking about. The reason that it goes across the bay and takes in part of St. Petersburg is to get a bunch of Democratic voters out of the district that Charlie Crist holds now, the St. Petersburg-based district. Essentially, they're using Castor's district as a Democratic sink, a sink to hold all the Democratic voters so that all the districts around it will be more Republican. And that's been the case since the redistricting that was done in 1990. Ten years ago, the courts ruled that it was illegal under fair districts for Castor's district to go across the bay to take those those Democratic voters. And that's why as of right now, before this new map goes into effect, Castor's district is all located in Hillsborough County.
0: There's also a new seat in the Tampa Bay region because of changes in the census. The 15th district includes parts of Tampa, Plant City, Zephyr Hills, a bit of Polk County as well. Uh, On the face of it, William, how does this district lean?
1: It's definitely a swing district, but it leans Republican. Uh, That district, it's going to be called District 15. Like I think you said, it takes in northeastern Hillsborough County, plus Zephyr Hills up in Pasco County, plus part of Lakeland in Polk County and a little bit of Lake County. In 2020, it voted 51 to 48% for Trump. So it's likely to be a swing district. But in what's looking like a bad year for Democrats at the polls, I would bet that it will go Republican uh, long term. And again, this is an example of using Castor's district in Tampa to concentrate Democratic voters in one place so that the surrounding districts are more Republican.
0: You're listening to Florida Matters. This week we're talking about redistricting and what the new maps mean for Tampa Bay voters ahead of the November midterm elections. We're talking with political journalist William March and WFSU reporter Valerie Crowder. Our conversation continues in just a moment. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking with political journalist William March and WFSU reporter Valerie Crowder about the new congressional maps. Now, one of the biggest arguments that we heard against the governor's maps is that they contradict the Fair District's Amendment by diluting the black vote. Uh, DeSantis, on the other hand, argues that what he calls racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional anyway. Uh, Valerie Crowder, just turning back to you, can you explain what's going on here and what the likely result is for black voters in Florida generally?
2: Certainly. Well, voting rights groups, civil rights groups and voters from several districts across the state are suing over the governor's congressional map. They claim that it violates the state constitution's fair district amendment, as you just mentioned. Uh, The fair district's amendment bans partisan gerrymandering that's intentional. Um, and also the diminishment of minority voters' ability to elect candidates of their choice. In other words, if a minority access district existed in the previous congressional map and the minority population hasn't uh, decreased, then that district should be protected under the state constitution's fair district's amendment, and that is the case with Representative Al Lawson's district Mm -hmm. in North Florida, Congressional District 5, which the governor's map does eliminate. And so that's really what the plaintiffs take issue with in this lawsuit. It was filed in state court, the second uh, Judicial Circuit Court in Leon County. And um, they're basically saying that this map should be thrown out and that the court should adopt and enforce a new map. And they're hoping that that will happen ahead of the 2022 elections.
0: Al Lawson, in fact, had this to say in a press release after the legislature approved uh, the map. He said, quote, once again, DeSantis is showing Florida voters that he is governing the state as a dictator, end quote. And then you had Representative Angie Nixon. She characterizes the map as, quote, stealing the black vote in Jacksonville. Valerie, does that kind of sum up the mood from? Lawmakers, uh, you know, black Democratic lawmakers, about what's going on here and what these new maps do?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think they see what Governor Ron DeSantis has done as an authoritarian, you know, method of leadership. I think that they have said that re- repeatedly that DeSantis is behaving as a dictator by inserting himself in the process this way. I mean, of course, his office did draw the maps and he signed them into law. Um, and they do take issue with the fact that the maps would reduce the state's black representation in Congress by half, and that's really their main concern. And of course, Representative Angie Nixon is from um, resides in Congressional District five. And so, you know, she's speaking up for her constituents as well. and Um, Also, Representative Trey McCurdy, who helped lead the sit-in, he is also from Congresswoman Val Deming's district, and Mm. that's another district that the governor's map erases.
0: Valerie, this has all happened fairly recently, of course. It's all quite new, but I'm just wondering, what's your sense of what people in the panhandle are thinking or feeling about this?
2: Well, I was in Gadsden County a couple weeks ago, and people there were really concerned about the prospect of Representative Al Lawson not being able to succeed in, in the upcoming election because the way that the lines have been drawn in the governor's map is that it actually expands Republican Congressman Neil Dunn of Panama City's district to include Gadsden County and to uh, include Leon County and that's a Trump plus 11 district and so the a lot of voters are concerned that they're going to lose their representation they describe Lawson as a people person Lawson is from Gadsden County originally Gadsden County is also the only county in the state with a majority African-American population and so that representation is really important to voters there and I think also a lot of people don't really, you know, fully understand just across the district in general that what is actually happening. This is a once in a decade process. So, but when people understand that they're going to lose their representation, then there is a lot of concern about that.
0: Let's get back to the the lawsuit. Uh, The League of Women Voters, Common Cause, and other groups are suing the state of Florida over the maps. I wonder though. And and uh, William March, you, you brought up this, this idea or you referenced the earlier lawsuit uh, from a previous redistricting effort. Is there enough time for lawsuits to be dealt with before November? And is this, do you think, a political strategy uh, on the part of Republicans, on the part of the governor to push something through? And even you know, if there's not time to, to get things resolved in court, it's still going to be in the favor of, uh, the folks who drew up those new maps.
1: Well, it seems unlikely that the litigation over the new map can be can be finalized in time for qualifying, which uh, I believe is in June. And as to whether it's a deliberate strategy, of course, the Republicans who passed the map would would absolutely deny that. But at the same time. Holding off the maps later and later so that candidates don't know exactly where they're going to be running, don't know which district they're going to be filing in, that does give an advantage to incumbents, most of whom are Republican, because they have better name recognition. They don't have to go as far to get their names known. And it gives an advantage to candidates who have more money because they can go out and and spend and they – it gives – less time for a, a lower-spending, lesser well-known candidate to go out and make a name for himself. So there are, there are advantages to incumbents and to well-funded candidates for this map to come in this late. Now, because of this, some of the opponents have filed a lawsuit saying that the court should not allow this, this new map to go into effect for this election. Uh, they're instead asking that a map passed by the Senate early on in the process, back in March, be used instead. Uh, The state, of course, is fighting that lawsuit and says that now that we've got a map that's been passed by the legislature and approved by the governor, there's no need not to put it into effect.
0: Is that the thrust of the argument, though? Is that basically what they're saying is wrong with the maps? Is it just there isn't enough time, or is it more about the substance of what they do?
1: Well, this lawsuit was filed before the new map was even passed. Uh, What they said was that it's too late in the process to adopt a new map. Um, Now the new map has been adopted, and its proponents, the Republicans, say it's been adopted. There's no reason not to use it.
0: Where do you see these legal arguments going from here?
1: They'll proceed on a couple of fronts. One is uh, as to what Valerie was talking about, the dilution of black voting power, the other is partisan gerrymandering. And, and as I think Valerie mentioned, the uh, the Florida Fair District Amendment makes it illegal to, to draw a, a district map with the purpose of helping one particular political party. Now, that will be argued on whether they can prove whether the opponents, the critics, can prove that there was intent to favor one political party. And that intent, obviously, is a difficult thing to prove. Uh, it's been revealed that the governor's office did hire a Republican political operative as part of putting the maps together. That will be used as evidence of partisan intent. It's worth noting that at the federal level, there's nothing in federal law that makes it illegal to draw a map with partisan intent, but it is illegal in Florida under the Fair Districts Amendment. And then as Valerie discussed, the Fair Districts Amendment also talks about dilution of black voting power, and that will be an argument at the state and possibly also the federal level. However, the Voting Rights Act, the Federal Voting Rights Act, that attempts to sustain the the voting power of, of minorities has been under assault from the Supreme Court recently Uh, where it actually stands is really kind of open to question.
0: In the bigger picture, what do these new maps do for the balance of power in Congress?
1: This map, assuming it goes into effect, which it probably will, will be a major step for Republicans in trying to overcome the very slim Democratic majority in Congress. Now, all sorts of consequences are flowing from that. There have been, for example, national news stories recently about the Biden administration looking at what sorts of investigations Republicans might start against the Biden administration if they take a majority in the House. So the, the consequences could be significant, and that's I think that is the ultimate reason why you're seeing Governor DeSantis and the legislature taking this step. Normally, redistricting is not something that voters get all excited about. You don't see a lot of big, high-profile, controversial news stories about drawing legislative districts. But this year, there, because of the narrow majority in the House, this year there has been a lot of talk, a lot of national news stories, a lot of court cases over redistricting. And DeSantis sees this as another way that he can be a hero to the conservative base. When the legislature passed its original maps, the ones that were vetoed, conservative activists were angry that the MAPS didn't do more to help Republicans take back control of Congress. And DeSantis sees this as yet another way that he can be a champion to the Republican base.
0: We've been speaking with political journalist William March. William, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here.
0: And a reporter Valerie Crowder from the NPR member station in Tallahassee, WFSU. Valerie, thanks so much as well.
2: Thank you, Matthew.
0: And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at WUSFNews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.